Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We so appreciate your guys' feedback from our latest episode with Tommy Nimala, a coach from over in Finland, that today we brought it right back over the pond, and we are having on Tobias Johansson, who is the head coach of the U-20 junior team and director of player development for Frölunda, which is a team in Sweden, and he has done an amazing job over there. I met him when he came over to the States and did some USA Hockey coaching education seminars. Awesome, awesome episode that we had, and great conversation with Toby here today, but before we do get over to him, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, episode 99, here we go. Gretter, we got episode Gretzky right now, not a big <laughs> deal. Started from the bottom, now we're, now we're here. still probably down there somewhere, but we're at 99, <laughs> man. Pretty cool to look back and think about, I still remember the phone call you you gave me and you're like, Hey man, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. You want to do it together? And I, I, I literally, I don't think I'd even listened to a podcast at that time other than watching Joe Rogan. When I played, I'd watch his podcast on YouTube, but I never really like listened to podcasts very much. And I immediately, because it was you asking, I, I don't even think I thought about it. I just went, yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that, uh, we're 99 deep in with this one. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, this is a podcast, so we might have to maybe put like a little bit of this on YouTube because I've never seen you with a buzzed head before. This is crazy. I used to shave my head all the time when I was a little kid, man. You definitely saw me when I was a little kid. Okay. Maybe not as an adult. Not as an adult, anyway. When I, when I signed with the Bruins, though, I shaved my head because I used to always do Mohawks and playoffs, and I was like, well, I can't sign an NHL deal and go meet – <laughs> Whoever's going to meet me when they, I get off the plane with a mohawk, that would be ridiculous. Um, so I, sh- I shaved my dome piece back then too. But yeah, it's been a minute, man. I was just too hot working out at home doing these Instagram live workouts for people and just sweating. How are, how are those going for you? Uh, they're good, man. There's, it's still, it's like anything. You do it, you, you hopefully get better at it. You keep doing it. You get better at it. I'm a doer. I'm not somebody who like sits around and just like thinks about things and, and tries to make it as good as I can all the time. Like I learn from doing, I think you actually said that on a podcast recently, honestly, I feel like you might've said that. And so I was just like the first time, like I'd never done it before, like two weeks ago or whatever it was, two and a half weeks ago. And I was like, I'm just going to do this. And hopefully one person will do it and it'll give them something to do, look forward to during the day and, and stay in shape or whatever. And now I've got like a couple hundred people watching all of them and it's, I don't know, I get a lot of really good feedback and saying that I'm helping. So I'm going to keep doing them, even though it's kind of awkward for me. <laughs> I'm not shy. It's hilarious. So I'm not shy at all. I'm not shy at all. Not even a little bit in person, but like when I take my own phone and face it towards myself and I'm talking to my phone, that is really awkward for me. And I don't know if I'll ever get over that, but um, it's getting easier. So I'm having fun with it, not taking it too seriously and just hoping that I can help anybody who, who needs it right now. Uh, as we say, every episode, people helping people, 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 helping people, people, helping people. <laughs> that's the goal. 
<laughs> if you can uh, extra extra points for the listeners here who, when this episode comes out, they can tell us what movie that's from. <laughs> if you can't, you're not a, not our friend. I saw your um, I saw your ten question thing you're doing now. That's pretty cool. How's that going? Yeah, it's been good. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so we did our first ten questions that we put out on YouTube uh, last week. It would be. Um, with this coming out on Monday and we did with Chris Mayotte, who's an assistant coach at the university of Michigan. So, uh, he won a national championship with Providence. Uh, he actually was a part of the coaching staff a few years ago when they won the world junior championship against Canada in Canada in the shootout. You remember that? Like Troy Terry, just going, uh, five, hole, five, hole, five, hole, three five, or four, <laughs> yeah, three or four consecutive times. That was amazing. And, uh, so yeah, we talk about winning national championships. We talk about recruiting. We talk about, uh, the world junior experience. We had so many great conversations and he's had the chance to actually work for some incredible coaches in college hockey. So he got his start actually living in my house, uh, as a volunteer, uh, working with us. So he got to work under Shafe, and then he went to coach with uh, Greg Carville, who's the head coach at UMass now, but was at St. Lawrence at the time and he's done a phenomenal job turning that program around uh then he went to work for nate lehman at providence won a national championship there and then now he's obviously at michigan working for mel pearson uh who's was at the university of michigan as an assistant forever under red berenson uh that went and uh and went to michigan tech and now he's back at michigan but uh fantastic conversation this week uh we're gonna have brian kane back on uh from prodigy hockey a lot of awesome hockey talk and uh i just like this is fun like this is an awesome part of my day, being able to talk hockey with people like you guys. And uh, it's – I look forward to it. Let's just say that. <laughs> Nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I dig it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a time where uh, a lot of people are at home and, and are trying to get their hockey fix in, in any way that they can. And, and we're just trying to, to help you guys out and provide some awesome – uh, you know, some awesome content to be able to learn from. And it's good because it's pushed us to be better as well. And we're trying to come up with new ways and new things uh, to be able to get some more information out there. And I'm able to wrangle in some more people to, to talk. And uh, fortunately, even where I've been able to coach and the relationships that I've been able to have over the years, uh, I'm able to get some pretty cool people to come on and sound really smart, a lot smarter than we can, which is exactly what happened on this conversation with Toby from Sweden here for sure. And uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to continuing doing a lot of great things in the hockey world. Yeah, that's cool. And it was awesome being able to talk to to Tommy from Finland and then, and then Toby from Sweden today and hear kind of a lot of the similarities that those countries have and their, in their theory and the way that they go about things. And, um, you know, they just say, it's like, yeah, well, this is what we do. This is our goal. Like over here, we talk about this stuff. Like, it's like, well, this is where we want to go. It's like, we're not <laughs> there yet, but over there it's, that's just kind of been the standard practice for a number of years so it's definitely interesting to to hear how well it's working over there how easy it is and obviously smaller countries smaller player numbers all that stuff but the theory behind how at least we think people should be coaching or or guiding principles of it like it you know it just makes sense and they're having a lot of success with it so that's pretty cool yeah for sure and it's interesting because finland you know we obviously had the chance to talk to tommy yesterday um but there's a guy named chad walker who emailed me so he's a video producer and he produced a video on how finland turned their hockey development around because it was little more than a decade ago they were de 
they were really struggling. They didn't have many first-round draft picks. They were losing at the world tournaments and stuff like that. So they did a huge, like, bring everybody together and um, figure it out, figure out what we need to do better. And they um, based a lot of their changes off of what Sweden is doing. It was an awesome documentary. I encourage everybody to go out and, and check it out. Um, just pulling it up on my computer. Uh, he sent it to me. It was on Vimeo. It's uh, feature Finland hockey. And so if you can, it might be on YouTube as well. Well, not sure, um, but uh, it was a great documentary on how Finland turned it around, and yeah, very f- similar philosophies that we heard from both Tommy and Toby, and and in di- in kind of different ways in a way, but still just incredible, incredible, incredible information for anybody that will be listening to this episode that wants to be a better hockey player or a better hockey coach for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I just love like him talking about like the connection he has with his players and it sounds like he gets the most out of his players. And if you're not connecting on a personal level and it's that, that adage, like no one cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Like that is so true. Every coach that I know that is successful, the players and them get along, they're friends, they're friendly, they, or they at least have a relationship. They know that the coach cares about them. Um, you know, and he, he said something on the podcast about like, you know, if I'm yelling at, at so-and-so it's, I'm yelling at them as a player and they know that I'm not yelling at them as a person and, and not yelling at them, but, you know, being stern with them, whatever, whatever is going on in the game. And I feel like, so many younger players think that a coach is yelling at them and doesn't like them as a person. And maybe that is the case over here, <laughs> honestly, with the way some, some adults handle youth sports. Uh, however, like if you, uh, me as a player, if I know that a coach cares about me and he's being hard on me because of that relationship, that background we have when he is hard on me and he's expecting more out of me and I'm not giving what I, what he knows I can give if I know that he cares about me, I know that that's he's it's coming from the right place and he'll get more out of me. He'll get a better response out of me. Um, I, I won't shrivel up and go into the corner and be like uh, embarrassed that I made a mistake or sad or upset. Like I'll be like, yeah, you know what? You're right. And, and it's just so simple and so smart. But I think a lot more people in the U S in hockey and in all sports in general need to kind of really hear that and listen to that. Cause coming from somebody who just recently retired, like that is everything to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this was a, uh, conversation that was heavy on the development of the person along with the player and just their developmental models, similar to obviously Finland's and what we heard from Tommy last week. Um, you know, it is interesting and we got into it on the podcast, but I feel like the way they talking about, they talk about having the best players versus the way that we talk about having the best players on certain teams is so different. And it's so hilarious because they talk about having the best players and that's why their team wins from a development perspective. Like we develop them so much from the time that we get them at the beginning to the time that they eventually leave our program or graduate to play professional hockey or whatever it may be. And the way that we talk about over here, having the best players is like from a purely recruiting exposure kind of, kind of way. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's different how some of those philosophies are. And I know there's a lot of people over here. I don't want to generalize everybody 
in the United States and in Canada as, you know, this whole big recruiting model that we have in youth hockey because there are a lot of people that care a lot about development. But I feel like as an overarching kind of thing, we focus way too much on, you know, on that and not enough on, on developing hockey players. Yeah, I mean, that's why we have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Exactly why, trying to trying to force people to, to not wake up, uh, the, to like s- kind of see how important that side of it is. And you'll get, you'll get further, you'll get more, you'll create better relationships, longer lasting relationships. There's, there's just so many reasons why. Yeah, and, and they've done a fantastic job of it over in Forlunda. And again, talking about uh, the winning versus the development. If you develop the, the players, you're going to win more. And that, that was a big topic that we talked about. And, and his team, or his program, won the U18 uh, Sweden Championships and the U16 Sweden Championships. Uh, they've developed Rasmus Dahlin, uh was in their program, who was the number one overall pick a couple years ago from Buffalo. They're going to have another top five pick coming out of their program uh, next year as well. So uh, it's uh, very, very cool to be able to talk to people who put as much into it as Toby does. And, and this was a fantastic conversation that I think we should end talking between the two of us. Say our thank yous to everybody and and get on to Toby. What do you think? <laughs> totally agree, my man. I'll start off by thanking uh, and Heroic for being one of the sponsors of the podcast. And um, like I said, on the last one, I, I've got the app out now. And the reason I chose to go with train heroic is it's the cleanest, most intuitive app that's out there I've ever seen. Um, and all my programs, every single exercise has a video with coaching cues. Um, so literally it takes out all the guesswork and, and that's the whole goal behind their entire platform. Um, so anybody looking for, for training, any coaches out there looking to do training, any, any strength coaches, stuff like that. Um, if you mention our podcast, you get a discount on your first full year membership as a coach. So, uh, tons of different ways to use it as a player, as a coach, as somebody who wants to learn, but can't thank, uh, Josh and, and the guys over at train heroic enough for, for what they're doing. And it's been really cool. Uh, using that and trying to help people as much as I can during this time with their platform. Yep, good stuff, man. And then uh, obviously want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor as well. Uh, go to gelsticks, G-E-L-S-T-X dot com. Use the coupon code THINKTANK and get a discount on some unbelievable uh, training weighted sticks that you can use obviously right now a big time to shoot in your basement or shoot in your garage so uh encourage everybody to go to gelsticks.com uh keep a lookout on our social media pages again jeff is doing some instagram live awesome stuff i'll be doing some of that this week too we're gonna have some guests uh i've seen some people do that like connor carrick who we've had on the podcast he's had a couple cool people on uh from a uh, from that standpoint, just talking to people almost similar to like what we're doing right now, but it's going to be live and uh, got a couple good ones. We got Brian Kane's YouTube video, 10 questions with him and prodigy hockey coming out this week too. So being on the lookout for that. And, uh, overall we just, we're just having a blast with this. Cannot believe we are at a hundred episodes next week and we have a killer guest coming on uh we'll leave that leave a little bit of intrigue for that but awesome awesome hockey guy coming on next week as well uh, but this was a great episode with tobias johansson uh who is the director of player development for Frölunda over in sweden a lot of great information so without further ado here we go with tobias johansson we are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast another 
from across the pond, this time in Sweden. And he is the director of player development and the head coach of the U20 junior team in Frölunda, one of the top organizations over in Sweden right now, Tobias Johansson. Toby, how are we doing today? Uh, doing really well. Excited to be on the podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, doing well. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, let's get right into it, Toby. Uh, let's uh, let's introduce you a little bit to our listeners. You know, you grew up in Sweden, spent a lot of time there. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your childhood and, and how it relates to hockey and, and how you fell in love with the great game. Uh, grew up small town uh, in, in Sweden. Had a dad that played hockey uh, when I was a young kid. So that's that's the connection there. Just spent every every day. At the rink, uh, my dad moved on to be a, a goalie coach. So a lot of hours at the rink. So it was kind of easy for me to do the transition from being a kid running around to to, to become a player. Uh, played a lot of years in, in, in my youth program and I got the opportunity during high school in Sweden to be an exchange student in, at Blake School. Of Minnesota. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So got one year of experience there. Uh, the, the the high school environment. I, I know that's big in Minnesota. Uh, watched a few golfers games. Got back in Sweden. Uh, wanted to be, become a college player, but at the time, this is what is it, ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, dressed a few games for the for the pro team in the second division on my home home team. Had no clue that that was making me losing my eligibility to become a college player. Uh, got got injured and uh, yeah, didn't renew my contract. And then I was kind of okay. If I can't play on the level I want to play, uh, I want to coach. So I started out coaching at a at a younger age. How did that work, Tobias? Did did you actively did somebody say oh we know you played some minor pro back in sweden so you can't play or were you going through the ncaa class trying to play college hockey and they were like oh hey we saw randomly you played two preseason games like how did that how does that work what i think since i had no idea how it worked and at, at the time this is like 25 years ago 20 25 years ago, no one in sweden or europe understood what the what ncaa was about uh, so I was kind. Of, I was I was paying uh, like an agent to help me or advisor, uh, but it was him that kind of t- told me, "Well, you have played ten games for this pro team in the in the second division of Sweden. You lost your eligibility, so you can't go over and play." And I yeah, kind of okay sure. if he's if he tells me that, <laughs> I'm going to trust him. Oh, that's too bad. That's uh, you. Did you have like a dream of playing with the Gophers then, since you're in Minnesota? For, I don't think. I, 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 looking back, I, I'm not sure I would be good enough to play Division One. Not, not for sure. Not the top programs. Not for sure. For sure, not the top programs. So that was. I think that was more of a dream. Uh, so maybe that was a good thing. Him telling me losing my eligibility is a. Yeah. <laughs> that's all good that's all good well uh talk to us a little bit about how you got into coaching was that something that you always kind of wanted to do being a coach's son and having your dad playing and and have helped you out throughout your younger years what uh what got you into the coaching sector 
actually was I was looking at the documentary. It must be 15 years ago about I think it's called Out of the Woods about Maine hockey. Oh my god! Program. Yeah, unreal documentary. Awesome. Yeah, when when Paul Korea and Jim Montgomery was there and they almost went undefeated, and Sean Walsh was the head coach and I was, I at at this time I was kind of I, I left as a player and I. I was assistant coaching a, a junior program at, at my hometown, and I just at the time I I really wanted to become a coach. Uh, so, and that that inspired me to kind of go after it. Uh, but funny story about that: I was at the same time I was applying to, for universities here in in, in Sweden, and the, the one of the universities had a program that called sports and sports and coach management but at the time 20 years ago my my, my thinking was well full-time coaches that that's that only happens to really smart and good people so i can't spend four years in college doing that so i need <laughs> to have another degree and then i can do coaching on the side <laughs> that's very funny so, yeah. um so what so did you end up getting your degree in something else then yeah. Oh, okay. What'd you get your degree in? It's called it's a bachelor degree in information logistics. Uh, it's about I, I I never worked in that sector, but it's about you know how can we make processes or information move quicker within an organization? How can we rationalize different processes? That's big business uh, right how, right now over here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably probably everywhere yeah that's that, true. have did you learn anything in your studies that like helped with communication within your organization as a coach or no you don't use any of that stuff i suppose it does but i don't think about it because it's right uh back then it was a lot of you know computer you know different you know typing different codes that that's was was the main thing in that gotcha. program of course, some uh, some uh, leadership and project management stuff as well, but and a lot of communication. But I, I, I don't think I, I use a lot, but I don't think about it. If that makes any sense. Cool. Gotcha. Cool. Well, hey, so one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast, uh, you know, you are doing such a good job over in Sweden with Forlunda, again, one of the top programs over there. Um, and, and you guys do things from a development standpoint, a little bit differently, obviously than, than how we do it over here. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but I just wrote an article, um, that I posted on my social media last week. And I just, I love talking to high level coaches who win championships and just ask them why. Like, what was it about your teams? What was it about your programs that you think was so special that allowed you to win a championship? And last year, I believe you guys won, um, from a junior standpoint, the U16 gold medal and the U18 gold medal. Is that correct? Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> so um, so I, if, if, if you were to give me like a, almost like the short answer, but maybe it's not even a short answer, and I'm sure we'll get into it, why? Like what is it about your program that allowed you guys to win two championships at two different age groups um, last year and be one of the top programs in Sweden? Uh, the, the quick answer uh, is because we have the best players. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish I could say because we have an amazing program where, of course, we have good coaches and all that. 
with this philosophy. But I think at the end of the day, in the big games, I, I normally say when I speak at coaching clinic in the U.S., if anyone can tell me when Washington won the Stanley Cup, who was run, what what kind of office and offensive system did they run? And I always say, did I, I'm pretty confident that everyone can agree that they run the the great eight and Nick Backstrom offense. <laughs> At the same thing in Chicago when they were, were dominating. 88 and Taves. At Pittsburgh, Malkin, Crosby. Uh, and I don't want to say the best players and, and make everyone, because I, I know that's a challenge in the U.S. that it comes down to recruiting. It's not that. It's about develop de- develop your players so the, the players get better. That's that's the That's our goal. When we start out in August, uh, uh, it's it's all about our 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 players need to develop more than the opponents, and our system or our philosophy won't be better uh, if the players within it doesn't develop. So so yeah, a little bit longer answer, but it's it's players, and it's not recruiting players. I think you attract good players if you're running a good program when you where you, when the main thing is that you, well if you come here you're going to you're going to get better and when you get better and we have a lot of those players we're going to have a winning team I love what you said there and I hope people like in Topher's position and I know Topher feels this way obviously it's why he's starting his own organization or helping it be better like create a good program and then the good players will follow. They'll want to come there because they know that you care about development. And then like you just said, you focus on the development of the players. And then because they're all developing more individually within your team structure, system rules, whatever, they're going to be better within the team structure because you made them better individually. And they kind of flow hand in hand. And if you focus on, making your program that be the the stonework of it like this is this is the building blocks this is our foundation is make it the best we can to help each kid get better then the good kids want to come to you and then your team yeah. gets better and then it just becomes like a circle like a it's like a circle you know so you just gotta uh-huh. you gotta keep doing that stuff and i think that's so awesome that you focus on that and then everything else kind of flows in the right direction yeah uh I, I, I think I don't know exactly how to respond to that, but I, I think, of course, we get good players, and of course we recruit players as well. But uh, at the end of the end of the day, we want to have a mindset or mentality that growth in every player every day. Uh, that doesn't mean everyone is allowed in. And everyone can do whatever they want. I, I, I'm really big on Navy SEAL that they cannot, they appreciate the dropout rate. And that's the kind of, that's the bar we want to have here as well. You know, it's, it, it's not easy to get in here. Only because you want to get in here, it doesn't mean you're going to get in here. But if you can recognize it at a, at a pretty early age that, and developing the, the good habits of being a good teammate, hard worker, 
putting in the hours, you're going to give yourself a shot to make our program. And when you get in the program, you're going to get three years. That's minimum. You're going to get three years, 1,000 days, and we're going to have a growth mindset for 1,000 days. And, but it's, it doesn't, it's not easy. And sometimes within the coaching staff, we tell ourselves, if we don't have players that want to leave, we're not having the bar high enough. So I, I want to be, be clear on that as well. It's, I, I think we have a good mentality. And that, and that, doesn't, that goes for every youth youth and junior program in Sweden but it's it's not it's 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 tough as well that's what kind of I tried to kind of say yeah I love that it's funny <laughs> Scott I, I I'm a huge believer in that Toby and I actually had so for our organization we had like this open information session where I can basically discuss what the plans were going to be for how I was going to run things and uh, so there was a bunch of parents and kids in there and one of the things I told them I was like if you don't absolutely love hockey this is not the place for you because it's going to be hard and I'm going to challenge you and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And, but like, I am going to push you outside of your comfort zone. And unless you really want to get better and you have a passion for this game, you are not going to enjoy this experience because I'm going to ask more from you than you've ever been asked before. And it was funny because you look at like the parents and you look at the kids and you can tell which ones loved me saying that (laughs) and which ones were like, oh, God, like. That's, I don't know if this is for me, you know, but I think that's a good thing though, because it weeds out the, the people who don't believe in the same things that you believe in. And that's okay. I mean, not everybody has to believe in the same things that you believe in, but if you're a high achiever and you truly want to get better, you have to get outside your comfort zone and you should want to play for coaches and for programs who are willing to push you outside of your comfort zone as well. Yeah. 100%. We, we, we had, we're using a phrase here that, we want our players because you move in here at the year you turn 17 and we're talking about taking a time out from life because we, if you join, if, if you join our program at the junior level, uh, our goal with you is that you're going to be a professional hockey player. That, that, that's the mail. If you, if you're not playing at the professional level, and of course, there are different professional levels. You can play in play in Sweden, you play in American League, you can play NHL, you can play in Germany. But that's 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 the mentality. Of, we want to put our players at the professional level. Uh, so you need to take time out from life because if you, for a thousand days, you need to be outside the comfort zone, to use your words, and it's it's going to be tough. But you're going to give yourself a chance and we're going to give you the chance to reach your fullest potential as a player, not being a part of a winning team, reaching your fullest potential. That's that's awesome. Well, I want to take it back a little bit because we're we're talking a little bit more about the older players, but I'd love to pick your brain a little bit on maybe the differences of what you guys do, you know, at the younger ages, because you are the director of player development for the entire organization. How does that differ from maybe like, you know, when they kind of start playing up until maybe 14, 15, 16 years old versus how you look at development for the people that you're recruiting to come in uh, and more of the higher level players at, uh, at like a 17 to 20 age. Uh, the benefit, uh, one strength we have with the Swedish system, I was, it's not ours. It's the Swedish system is that, uh, and it kind of like your youth 
program going to work? If you, you start learn to skate within the Frölunda uh, organization, and then you, then you, in the idle world, you go from learn to skate all the way to the pro team. We actually have a player born 02 is probably going to be a top five pick in, in the next upcoming draft, Lucas Raymond. He started learning to skate in Frölunda and have gone all the way. He's the perfect example how we wanted to to be. But we we can have we can have a red thread or red road throughout the program. So I'm only director of player development for U16, U8, and U20. I have a colleague who's director of the youth program, but uh, of course, we work close together and, and kind of what what do we believe in within our program and how, how do we want our players to look when they're moving through the program? And I, I'm not sure I'm answering the question right now, but we are huge believers on because the hockey is so fast today. It changes so fast and it's because everyone skates faster, there are more skills and, and they're stronger. And that's because we have skill coaches, we have skating coaches, we have strength and conditioning coaches. That doesn't mean only because you can skate fast doesn't mean you can play fast. Uh, that's a big, big thing within our youth program. that We, wanna, we want to develop decision makers or players that can make plays. Not play, make, make a play. Uh, by that I mean passing the puck uh, to a teammate. Uh, so we, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty confident on, on this stats. But I, I think our youth program, 50% of all on ice practice is small area games. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and imagine doing that from, you say, eight years old for eight years till you're 16. You play small area games. And you're skate, you're stick handling, you're passing, you're shooting, you're communicating, you make decisions. I, that's huge. I mean, I, we're getting there, <laughs> I think, in the States. I don't know if, how much complete buy-in there is, uh, but it's it's getting there. And USA Hockey, as you know, Toby, is, is, is pushing small area yeah. games and how important it is. And, you know, decision-making and problem-solving is everything in sports. And skills are obviously important. You need to work on skills, but you certainly learn and, and can develop skills within playing those small area games, but you're also developing those, uh, the ability to problem solve and, and make plays. Do you think the small area games is a huge part of the reason why uh, in your guys' development model in, in Sweden you have so many, so many smart players? <laughs> 100% because the small area game cross-size, it's, it's, it's no structure for a coach to coach. It's three on three. It's two on two. It's four on four. So, so the the format is not the typical five on five full ice game. So the coach can't be there telling the players exactly what to do, and that's another thing for me because taking the three biggest sports in the U.S. you have American football, you have baseball and basketball, slow games. Really, you have you have huddles <laughs> to come up with kind of play you're gonna do in the in, in football. I, I think basketball a lot of set plays i mean even if there's more up up and down running baseball really slow hockey you drop the puck and you go 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 for 35 seconds and you you can't have a coach coaching telling the players what to do on the ice so that's why i think we need to become better as coaches to 
educate and teach our players to make decisions by themselves. Vex, I know you. Got, we, I know you're going to go that? on that one. <laughs> how, how do we do that? Because I, I I played for coaches and I see coaches and I've coached against coaches the last two years who are trying to be the remote control coach. They're trying to play. They think they've got the remote on the bench and they're using the joystick, telling the player up, up, down, stop, start. You know, they're yelling the whole time. How are you guys getting players to to do those things without having the coach always telling them what to do? Uh, I think, uh, how do I answer that? Is it video? Is it just letting them figure it out for themselves and they come back to the bench and then you say, hey, I saw you did this. Maybe next time try this. Or If we're talking to the older players, uh, the one I'm responsible for, U16, U18, U20, it's 100% video. We, we, all, we, have a say, we, we meet in, in the video. Uh, that, that's a big thing. And that's something we need, we're adding each year moving on, you know. Each year I've been coaching here, and I've been coaching for eight years, video just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the kids, because when I was growing, I'm 30, 39 years old, I, I always went to watch our pro team, my home team, the pro team. I watch, loved watching them. The kids these days, they don't go and watch other players play. They want to watch themselves. Uh, so we spend a lot of time watching video. And another thing that might be an answer to that question is that we don't, as I said earlier, I, I, don't, I don't think a system becomes better until the players within the system gets better. And let's say, uh, let's say for a breakout play, we, we, we struggle with our breakouts. Okay, is it the system, or is it something within these five players that screw things up? And five different players can have habits or behaviors that they need to work on individually to make that one breakout getting better. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we 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 don't coach the line or the team on structure or system. We try to identify how can this player make our philosophy better because each we have 22 players with with the goal we need to we need to count the goals uh that 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 they have different challenges uh so i i'm not sure i'm answering the question no you are that's i mean that's such a good point though and i think in, in the U.S. and in Canada, we almost have it backwards where we are so much looking at the five-man unit and how it works and the, the systematic yeah. play and looking for deficiencies in that rather than what you're talking about is there's certain things that players do within your structure that can allow the structure to work or, or not work. Yeah. Like let's say it's a, like a retrieval for a defenseman. You, know, you might yeah. have a player that goes back and doesn't shoulder check so he or she doesn't know uh, where the next play is. And then you think because you can't break the puck out, oh man, like what's this five-man unit? Like this, this isn't working. Well, it might be as easy as let's make sure he's going back hard to get the puck, number one, and he's shoulder-checking number two, and then maybe he has an extra half a second to make a play, and now he can bump it off the wall to either the winger or behind the net to his other defenseman based upon now he knows where the four-checker is coming from. Like I think that's such a great way to coach. It's, it's, it's so much more work to coach 
much that way because now you're focusing on the individual player and there's 22 of them. Like you said, there's not one system. (laughs) So, but I think that's where great coaching comes from is you're able to, you know, recognize those things in individual players. And when you're making the individual players, like you said, better then the team as a whole gets better too. And I love that way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, and I, I have to buy. So every week, I find myself frustrated leaving a game, a period, or a practice. But when I come back watching a practice or a period or a game, it's it's not the whole team that screw things up. It maybe one or two plays or players. Uh, so why I can't come in yelling at the whole team about one player doing something? wrong and that's another thing I, I think is a big difference coaching wise in Sweden and the US that my I, I'm a strong believer that all players they want they want to be good. They don't screw up uh on purpose they want to <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> on purpose. Everyone wants to be good. So if something happens, it happens. I think that environment we create as coaches that it's okay. It's okay to fail. Uh, I think that's going to, especially at the younger age, it, 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 and that's another thing in our practice environment, we apply something we call a 50-50 rule. And it means if we look too good, let's say we have the perfect practice, well, something is wrong with the practice. It's not challenging enough. Players are not developing. So we as a coaching staff, we need to be aware of and a patient within the practice that some things will not look as good as we want because we have put the players in a challenging environment. Kind of like in Xbox, PlayStation. You know, you don't want to be at the same level the whole time. You, <laughs> you move up, you move up. And I think we need to do, have that progression within practice as well. The kids, but it takes the kids a lot. just got your point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it takes a lot from us as coaches and of course sometimes we, we lose it as well as, as coaches but now are there times during a specific practice where maybe it's looking too good or maybe it's looking really really bad <laughs> where uh, you know i'm sure you guys spend a lot of time planning practice um to make sure you're getting the most out of individuals in the team but is it pretty um like will you shift things in practice and change things up if it's not going the way maybe too good or maybe not as good as you want yeah, if we if we're not look, liking what we see, we we, we need to we, we we spend a lot of time on practice planning. But if we don't like what we see, we need to change it right away. We can't waste. It's only forty five minutes left. We can't waste that. We need to because in my mind, it's good habits or bad habits. It's nothing in between. Yeah. Uh, so if, if if we're not if we're not. Uh, teaching or developing good habits we get we getting bad habits so that that's another challenge for coaches i think a lot of coaches here here as well they they spend so much time on under practice planning and they think they're done i did my work i I have my i have my practice here (laughs) yeah but it doesn't matter how good that is if it doesn't work on the ice so i think the best coaches can I can quickly identify the mood of the players? What's going right? Do we need to change something today? I love that. Uh, One of the things that I always used to do 
uh, as a coach when things weren't going well, I'd go right to small area games. Like uh. if the execution wasn't there or the energy level wasn't there and you, like you kind of know that you're not going to get something productive out of a certain drill <laughs> or certain yeah. couple drills, like let's go battle. Let's go compete yeah. because then that's what they want. Like if you could tell, like if you could play small area games all practice, the kids would probably be like, sweet, that's an awesome practice. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that. So it kind of just gets them mentally back into it. Now they're competing, so their energy level is going to be a little bit up. You know, there's something to play for. I don't know what you guys do, but that's something I always used to love to do. Yeah, and I think and put something on the line, like you just said. Like if, if a drill's going bad and you're just like, hey, you stop the practice, depending on the age, obviously, and maybe give them a little pee pee slap and say, Hey boys, like that, the execution was bad. The energy was bad. We're going to go into a two on two battle drill down low now. And the losing teams got to do a mountain or the losing teams got to do 10 pushups. Just put something on the line to where now their pride level all raises, which is going to bring out that intensity and bring out the energy. And now they're going to go hard. And then after that's over, now maybe you go back to whatever you had planned, you know, just, just throw that in there to get the, get the boys or the girls going. Yeah. 100%. I think that competition is something that needs to be, in pretty much every drill, uh, uh, because we, we're talking about something we want to check off every time with every drill we use. Is it game-like? And competitiveness or compete is huge in a game. Uh, of course, if we're doing individual stuff, uh, lower pace, you know, with a D on the blue line or retrieving pucks, something when when you need to figure things out, slower pace. But as a team practice, in a team practice, if we don't have competition, it's, it's just a waste. Uh, well, I think as a coach, fostering every player's individual competitiveness is so massively important. And some coaches do a great job focusing on the entire team competing against each other. And that's pretty easy because, like you said, you can put push-ups on the line or it's pride. I don't want to lose. I, I'm somebody who always wants to win. That gets the most out of almost everyone. But what I think coaches really need to focus on is getting each individual to want to compete and battle at everything. And so, like, for me, I'd always talk to the boys in the shooting drills. And I'm like, look, this is your chance to work on scoring. People think all oh, scoring is innate. Scoring, you're either born with it or not. Well, no. You're taking how many shots over every practice? Like you can work on being a better better goal scorer by work competing against yourself. I'm not just going to go in and shoot. I'm going to compete against that goalie. I want to score on him every single time. And if there's a rebound, I'm going to stop on it. I am bury it because I'm competing against him and I'm competing against myself to try and score more goals every shooting drill that goes on throughout the year or as a D-man. I'm not just going to accept you know, getting the puck, looking up ice and passing it. I'm going to get the puck, not look down, throw a spin, a ram up, pretend there's a guy on me, and then I'm going to make a pass. So maybe adding a little more to a drill for a player who's better, let him to compete against himself and try and challenge himself harder in the drill. I just think coaches need to do a better job at, at teaching kids and players, even pros, how can you make this drill harder for yourself or better or compete against yourself or the goalie or whatever? And then it's just, like you said, always competing, always compete, even in not even battle drills, shooting drills, skating drill, always compete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. And I, I have to say that the pattern is with our best players and our best players, they get drafted. 
we get between two and five drafted players each year. It, it, our best players they have that naturally, uh, and yeah, having yeah. having having the I would say the will as a skill kind yeah. of. We have yeah. a lot of talented young players that think they like kind of like Herb Brooks said. You know, they they, they are talented, but they don't have talent enough to win on talent alone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the pattern is even Rasmus Stalin came out of our program. He competed every day. Naturally, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. He is where he is. He oh. loved competing, whether it was against someone else, himself, the goalie, whatever. Every almost every good player I ever played with, they hate losing. They love winning. They love battling. They love competing. Like. So those other kids for the coaches who don't have that find a way to push their buttons, and get them to understand how important always competing is. Well, I think the yeah. other thing too that goes to that is like competing comes out in different ways and different players too. Like you look at Erasmus Dahlin who is so skilled and so good. Um, and you look at some of these other players who are so skilled and so good, their competitiveness is different than like a Jeff Lavecchio type player, you know, totally like, competitiveness. Isn't like putting on a freaking mean face and, yeah. you know, and like grunting and I got to go kill people and I got to be physical and check and all that kind of stuff. Like competitiveness for like Erasmus Darlene could be like, I mean, you would know better than I would, but for the better players that I play with, they're, they're competing, like you said, Jeff, against themselves. Like, they just want to get yeah. better every day. They don't want to lose a puck battle, but it's not like being the most physical person and I got to elbow this person to get the puck and yada, yada, yada. No, but they're going to come up with the puck every time because they're com- competing with their head or, you know, anything else. So competitiveness comes out in different ways in different people. Would you agree, Toby? Yeah, and, and my translation for that would be, you know, it's, it's three things – Three ways to get a puck in a game. You can, you can have a teammate pass it to you. You can win a race to a loose puck, or you can steal it from someone. And two of those are compete in my mind, win the race or win the battle. Uh, and and for me, it comes back to that because as much as I love compete, I don't want to have players that only have compete as an asset. But I want that to be a natural thing within my players. And I think that's why we were so high on small area games because every day you're going to be put in environments when in order to survive, you need to compete because you're going against pretty good players. Uh, So that's come naturally. And with our mindset as coaches that it's not the system, it's each individual. And to Jeff's points, you challenge each player individually we coach them individually. So we, we get the compete uh, flavor f- from small area games and the way we put up uh, put together practices. But then we have a mentality from the coaching staff that each player needs to be coached differently. Uh, so then we get the, coach, uh, the, the com- competitiveness and we get each player to work on the skills they need, they need to, to reach their fullest potential. And we don't hide hide about uh, hide behind yeah we won two nothing it's bigger than that that's not a good coach yeah i won the game but no we need to look at each player's shift and figure out why didn't we win with four nothing <laughs> that's awesome 
Yeah, that's good. Well, I think you guys do such a good job. Um, and one of the things we talked about, we had Tommy Niemela from Finland on our podcast last mm-hmm. week. And, and I think you have very similar cultures from a coaching standpoint where it is about the player. You know, it's yeah. not about the coach's ego. It's not about and, – and one of the things that he talked about that was so profound and I think probably hit a lot of people over here right between the eyes was like people over there, they don't necessarily get the better jobs from winning. People get the better jobs when they do a better job of developing players. And yeah. um, I, I think that that is especially in youth hockey, but you even look at, you know, what Ryan Hardy's doing in Chicago and how much they're developing their players and winning is a byproduct of that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so talk to us a little bit about how you guys go about and, and how much you care about coaching the individual player and really putting them first and putting you as a coach almost second, like you're there to serve the players. The players aren't there to serve you. Uh, well, it's, it's not like it used to be here in Sweden. It's, it's happens so much. We, we see ourselves more like kind of like teachers than coaches. I, sometimes I, I, sometimes I wish I was like Victor Tikhonov of the former Soviet Union, you know, everyone, you, <laughs> you know, I'm, as, as when I walk into the room, I get the intention. I, I think, I think you would be amazed of how the relationship between p- players and coaches are here, uh, the trust that are built between them. Uh, we talk a lot about within our, within our program that before we can start coaching them, we need to have them trust us. Uh, and and do, how do we have, have them trust us? Well, we need to big build that relationship. Uh, how do you do that? How do we do that? We spend a lot of time just talking to them. It's it's not. How are you? How are things at home? How are how are things in school? Do you have a girlfriend? What did you do when you didn't? When you, you, your day off? What did you do? Just so looking at them ten, as a human, not yeah. just a hockey player. Finding One, out their background, stuff yeah. like that. Cool. And of course, we're gonna challenge the we we. we we talk about it. It's the person and the player, and we're gonna be really tough and hard on the player. And sometimes we're gonna come down on you and really scream at you if we don't like what we're seeing. But that doesn't mean we don't appreciate you as a person. Uh, but it's it's spending time with them, and 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 I I don't know the exact answer to that's a really hard question and i'm not sure if we all if we are all the way there uh, uh i think i think coaches today they get so challenged challenged as well from from the outside if we all and i think that's why the soviet union was so good early on because they were isolated now we only have the players for three hours a day and then they're on the phone and then they have the agent and then they have the parents and then they have some family advisor that played semi-professional and everyone thinks he's really good advisors. So that, 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 that trust factor in building relationship is huge, but also really, really hard uh, because the, the only... The, the thing that I know every player in the whole world are listening to is ice time. I have no problem 
coaching and building a relationship with my best players and best players would be playing the most uh, it's tough to, to earn that trust and build that relationship with players early in the program that don't get the ice time they they think they should have or they are used to having and and I, I'm, t- I'm always telling them it's it's not you it's our program is that tough it's if you played within another program, you would be playing more minutes, but then you wouldn't get the practice, the coaching, uh, the players around you to learn from. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure I'm answering the question there, but... Is, uh, oh, for sure. No, I, I, think, I think a lot of what you're talking about is, is taking action to let the kids know that you care. Because I yeah. feel like every coach, if you ask them the question, like, do you care about your players? Everyone would say, well, yeah, of course I do. But then if you ask the players about it, how many of the players are going to say that they think that you care? So, like, there's a difference between caring and then actually taking action. Like you said, asking the questions when they're walking into the rink and taking time out of your day to let them know that you're thinking about them and things like that. I mean, that just goes – I remember back when I was a player, and you guys I'm sure do too, like when you had a coach that took an interest in you – and and it seemed like he enjoyed being around you and and you know wanted to ask about your family and just things outside of hockey so you weren't just another statistic that was coming through the program i think that goes such a long way but at the same time like that takes a lot of time and effort it takes a yeah. lot of time and effort and f- especially for youth coaches because you know youth coaches are going to the rink they got their typical jobs and they might be tired when they're coming to the rink and it's uh, you know punch the clock i got to get this i got to do a practice plan i got to do the practice and and all that kind of stuff you know that's that's a, a small part of coaching <laughs> yeah but i i also think is you need to be innovative uh uh handling these younger kids and and the new generation I, uh, I, I still have players that doesn't like talking to me face to face because they see me as an authority. So what I what I use to build that trust and relationship is each night I'm sitting at the couch back home and my wife or watching TV. I, I, I'm texting with my players because that's the that's that's how they communicate. I'm not using Twitter or Instagram or. or Snapchat, but I'm texting texting with them. How are you? D- did you do the homework you said you're supposed to do? Uh, how, how was the the game with the teammate on Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it's a, I think wanting to build that relationship and trust trust and being that the the next generation coach, I, I, it, the easiest way. For us, is to say, oh, no cell phones in the locker room. And of course, we have that rule. But at the same time, we know that's that's how I communicate. So for sure, the 16, 17, and 8 year, 18 year olds kid, that's the way they're communicating. So that why do why can't I use that as a tool to build a relationship and trust with my players? Well, because they 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 are that it's out my outside my comfort zone, but it's right down their alley. So, uh, I like it. I like it. Well, I wanted to ask you 
Um, you, you know, we're talking about coaching young players, and you mentioned earlier you get the chance to coach a couple pretty freaking good ones <laughs> in Frilanta, yeah. um, in Rasmus Dahlin, and then Lucas Raymond coming up. And for people who don't know his name right now over here, you will very shortly uh, at the NHL draft coming up. Um, what's it like to coach that special of talents. I mean, you're talking about two, one of them was the first overall draft pick and Raymond isn't going to be far behind that. Um, what's it like to be able to coach kids that are that special? Super tough, hard. Uh, they challenge you every day uh, because they want to get better. We talked about that. The will as a skill. They, they have, they have that naturally. I, I always say, when I'm over in the U.S. speaking and coaching clinic, because everyone knows about Rasmus Dahlin, and to your point, everyone's going to know about Lucas Raymond in a few couple of years. But those players, we can't take credit for. They 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 are different type of species. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to say it's naturally and they're born with it, but it, it's tough to it's tough to coach them because they they want to be better so bad. And Lucas, I've known him since he was 13 years old because I coach his older brother. He was he was running around at the rink, competing with a stick and a in a pot. He, yeah, it's it's different. It's tough. It's hard because they're demanding. Coach, make me better now. <laughs> uh, uh, awesome. Which which kind of pushes me to become a better coach. So that's kind of nice. For sure. Well, uh, we had uh, we had Marty St. Louis on our podcast, and uh, it, one of the things that he talked about that I think was one of the, honestly, one of the greatest things that I've ever heard when it comes to, like, hockey was, you know, we asked him kind of the question because he went through some ups and downs throughout his career. He was overlooked as a smaller player and things like that, which many of us do. Very few people can be as, you know, genetically gifted as my co-host Jeffrey Levecchio over mm. here. Um, but uh, one of the things that he talked about, he's like, I was never the biggest. I was never the fastest. I never had the hardest shot. But the one thing that I was better at everybody else at was getting better. Like I was yeah. the best player that I ever knew at getting better. And that's why I ended up where I did is because it was like, just like you're talking about just a, an, an always like huge thirst to become a better hockey player. And I think when you, when you talk about the, the special players, you know, and whether that's the Crosby. Yeah, exactly. Like the McDavid's, all that stuff. They just, they always want to get better. And it's such a unique skill to have and it's just it is challenging to coach them but at the end of the day like as coaches we kind of have to have that mentality too right we can't we got to always have a thirst to get better and uh being able to coach that caliber like you said is it's good for us <laughs> yeah and that's actually something we try to uh, we we have learned over the years so i said as, the, as as i said earlier the pattern is that the best players out of our program that they, they want to be the best every day so from that we kind of to, okay, we need to coach our kids, not our players, our kids, our individuals, to to kind of ask questions. If you if you come to the rink, make sure you ask a coach one question each day. If if you are a U twenty player going up to the to to practice with the pro team, well, you need to ask the the coach at least one question. And kind of get them 
teach them that skill or that mentality to how how do I get better? Well, try to get information. Uh, so it's not it's not always about what's happening on the ice or in the gym. It's it's how how can we teach the kids uh, develop as people as well uh, to invest in themselves, kind of. Yeah, I think learning. I think that's so valuable. One, I, I read a lot of books, and and uh, one of the things that I love reading about, you know, is creativity and maximizing your potential and stuff. And you're talking about asking questions, and Tommy said the same thing. Like they talked about asking questions all the time, and I think one of the um, biggest attributes of high achieving people is curiosity. I think curiosity yeah. is one of the the best attributes and traits that you can have, and it goes along with having that thirst for knowledge to get better. And and I do think the best coaches, I think the best um, players, the best parents, the best doctors. I mean, everybody. Like, just if you want to be successful, having like a very big curious bone in your body and asking questions, I think is. Oh my God! I think that's such an important thing. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. You're you're on the spot there. It's it's you know, wanting to know new stuff and have that uh, that kind of personality to 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 looking for new things on on solving things. I think that's that's huge. And in today's world with how connected everything is, like I'm constantly, I run a gym and I'm constantly telling all my clients, like you, if you want to get better, like there's no better time in human history to be able to help yourself get better. Like you can use Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Like there's so many people that put out free information. Like my cousin Topher, always putting out free information to help people. Like if you truly want to get better, it is so easy to spend 20 minutes a day searching ways, writing things down, learning from people, putting on these different things. Like there's no excuse now for players and coaches to not be learning because it's so easy to find resources for free. And then obviously you can go above and beyond and pay, but you don't even need money to do it. Like YouTube stuff. So many people put free stuff up. Like, don't be afraid. Like invest in yourself. Can't say it enough. Oh, no, 100%. And sometimes we, we, we give our players uh, homework, uh, you know, watch this documentary and reflect on it because I'm going to throw out questions tomorrow after practice and you, re- you need to be ready to answer. Uh, just yeah, to your point, you know, there, there's so much information out there uh, and, and why, why, don't, why don't more people go after it? Uh, I don't understand it. Yeah, Me my, my wife, um, she's really into, um, she loves listening to this woman, Rachel Hollis. She's a huge um, <clears throat> motivational speaker, business leader, and uh, she has this podcast and she's like unabashed about, she she owns and built this like multi-million, maybe even billion dollar company. And she said, I did it with hard work in Google. <laughs> like that, and she's like she's not afraid to say it she's like i didn't know what i was doing and i just worked really hard and i figured it out and you yeah. guys are so right there's so many resources that we can turn to all it takes is a little bit of can-do attitude a little bit of heart well no not a little bit a lot of a can-do attitude and a lot of hard work and uh and i think you can do anything that you put your mind to for sure 
And moving along, uh, Toby, obviously we've, uh, we've been able to meet. I've been able to see you speak um, coming over and, and doing some USA Hockey uh, coaching clinics and things like that. Um, and so we have some mutual friends and stuff. And one of the things that, that I've heard that's really important to you guys in terms of principles of playing the game in Philunda, let's turn it a little bit more to hockey talk right now. Um, do you have like a three principles that are important to you guys, or is that something you want to share? Or <laughs> uh, of course, uh, we're talking about uh, teaching or developing players, not not the system or structure. And we we're talking about a philosophy. We have a philosophy on, on how we want to on how we want to play hockey, and it's it's uh, always puck possession. We want to keep the puck within the team. It's always attack, so we don't just pass around. We want to attack with the puck, and if we lose it, pressure, go after it, get it back. So it's always puck possession, always attack, always pressure. And as long as we see that within our game of Frölunda, well, players can figure out how to solve problems on the ice pretty much how they want it. Uh, so we don't. That that's kind of our system. It's it's not it, it's it's not harder than that for us. <laughs> well, when you talk about, I, I feel like the best teams are able to recognize and understand the possession versus the attack part of it. You know, when when to hold on to it, when to have possession, not turn it over, and when to you know, utilize an attack and know when to get the puck to the net or bring the puck to the net or make a play for a shot and things like that. How do you guys go about finding that balance? Um, Because, you know, you have some people that look at the Corsi, right? And they say, just shoot, attack, shoot, attack, shoot, attack all the time. And then you have maybe another side where it's like, keep the puck, keep the puck, keep the puck. But then you're just, you know, kind of rolling around the perimeter and not much is happening. So is there a way that you kind of teach when or how to attack while you're also trying to, um, you know, focus on those puck protection principles? For us, it's pretty simple because our job within uh, our youth and junior program is to get the players to the next level. Uh, so we want to we want to have players that play uh, to. Uh, no, I, I don't. I forget the English word here. Uh, we want our players to try every time. And we talk about are the window opened or closed, or can you open the window? Uh, uh, so, so we kind of teach our players go after it. If we have the puck, go after it. Uh, we we don't have, we we don't have we don't want to have players that that kind of try to avoid different situations or avoid. Uh, losing the puck, uh, go after it. Uh, try, 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 try. And of course, I, I talked to my my one of my assistant coaches just before this call, and I was kind of summarizing the the season that just ended. That well, we we get a lot of scoring chances against. Well, why do we get that? Because of turnovers. But we're going to continue to have turnovers. Because we want our players to try to open that window, uh, because that's the player that's going to make it to the next level. Of course, if if, if we and again I said in the early early on, the best teams win because they have the best players. Uh, so if we have players and or talking to our 
players about slowing the game down or in this situation you need to keep the puck in this situation you can try well my job is to develop them and they need to figure out by themselves when i watch a video with them afterwards well it is a good situation to try to open the window up one nothing with one minute left of the third period (laughs) (laughs) and they figure it out by themselves but at the same time we will never tell our players to ship it down because that's the way we're going to win a game in december never we we want we want we want to win games because we beat the opponent in one-on-ones that's awesome. Well, it is. I mean, you just kind of go back to it. Winning is a byproduct of developing and really focusing on your players getting better. And uh, you know, here we have the the play, director of player development for the junior program. Coaches has coached U sixteen, U eighteen, U twenty, talking about yeah, we give up a lot of scoring chances against. <laughs> And that's okay. You know, they'll learn from it, but we encourage them to make plays. And Vex, I was talking to Nerado earlier today, and I sent him something over because I want to send all of our coaches here, like a little list of habits that we want our players, forwards habits and defenseman habits, attitude habits, things like that. And two of the things for forwards habits and defense habits, right? The first one is make plays. And it kind of goes to what you're talking about, Toby, like open the window. Don't just open wait for it to open it itself, but like do it, try it, make the play. And it doesn't have to be like a, it could be make a play in terms of like closing in on space and try to do a turnover. It could, it could be making a play on making a pass. There's so many ways that you can make plays and just don't be a passenger because you get better when you're the driver and you're actually doing things and trying things and failing and learning and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, for all the youth coaches that are listening to this, Toby's team wins because they turn pucks over, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like you probably turn a lot more pucks over at the beginning of the season than you do at the end because the kids are learning uh, about how to make plays and when to make plays and how to do it the right way. They're just, they're getting better. And so much of the time we talk about like having the best players over here from a recruiting perspective. Like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to win because we have the best players because we recruited the best players. I would love to see it backwards just like you're talking about no 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 we talk about having the best players as in you know maybe we didn't start with the best players but they're the best players at the end of the year kind of thing yeah that's what matters Ugh. yeah and, and and the word i was looking for is we want our players to play to achieve achieve and and the in the perfect situation for me would be having a player skating with the puck, carrying an opponent on his back, protecting the puck, and making a play through a second opponent. That's that's the mentality of how we want to teach our, our players, defensemen as forwards or centermen. That's if you can carry the puck, having an opponent chasing you, and you make a pass through. Because everyone is talking about creating two on ones. We want to create one-on-twos to set up another player for a two-on-one. Oh, look at that. Flipping the script, just a better way to, to, to verbalize how to do that. It's not just, hey, let's, let's make a two-on-one. Well, yeah, okay, anyone can say that. You just gave like the simplest blueprint ever. Well, you create a one-on-two, which means somebody else is going to have a two-on-one. Yeah. Uh, that's all. 
I, I, that's that's super easy way to to say that. Well, it goes back to Jeff. Like we talk about this on the podcast, we've talked about it quite a few times. It's you know everybody the the conventional wisdom right now is you have to play fast, play fast, play fast, play fast, play fast. And there's certainly a time and a place for that. But Toby, what you're talking about, I think, is so important because some of the best players that I've seen coached, they have so much poise with the puck and they know how to hold on to it, hold on to it to attract that other defender to come to them, which is going to leave somebody open. And then they're able to find that player. And uh, like Adam Nicholas and, and, uh, and Brandon Nerado, like they're huge on that stuff. Nar and I talk all the time. Like he was the one that introduced me to inverted rushes where it's, you know, in practice, do a lot of two on threes, do a lot of one versus twos, do a lot of three versus fours where you're going to have to figure out a way to hold onto the puck and make a play and draw defenders to you, which will allow other people to be open. I love that, Toby. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And, but, but as a coach, I think you need to have patience and, (laughs) and, and you're talking about playing fast. And I think a lot of coaches make, make, and I did it, early on in my coaching career you know you coach the speed of skating not the speed of moving the puck and you can move the puck by skating or pass and shoot it but i think a lot of coaches making the mistake that they want to go fast 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 but the player in the practice the players never finish with the puck they started so it's it's about playing fast not skating fast like that. i think nicholas beckstrom is the biggest I'm not sure I can say that, but he's not my favorite player because I think he can skate more. But as a playmaker, he plays fast. Yeah. So good. He is so good. <laughs> always always creating two-on-ones because he sucks guys in. He's so good at sucking guys in. It's massive skill. Like That's the guy you want to be on a line with. All right, you suck everybody to you. I'll go get open and snipe. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Alex Ovechkin, 700 goals, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, honestly, honestly, like people don't give Backstrom enough credit. Like, oh my God, is he good? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's really good. He's really good. Yeah, that's good. Well, but, uh, he, but he can skate. He can skate more. <laughs> always the coach and you always finding a way to improve i like that yeah. oh man well toby this was awesome thank you so much for taking some time out of uh out of your day and, and away from your your family night here tonight to, to sit here and talk hockey with us uh i i, I talk all the time on the podcast about how i i almost kind of judge some of the conversations we have based upon the notes that i've taken and i have like six pages of notes right here <laughs> just yeah. on some of the stuff that we've been talking here today and um i i really appreciate uh your your time um it's been great uh you know i got the chance to, to watch you speak at uh at a usa hockey clinic was that last year or a couple years ago i can't even remember it was in buffalo last year yeah yeah and oh, I, yeah two young kids under three i don't remember anything anymore so um <laughs> but i do remember it was an it was a really really good conversation and being able to keep in touch here has been great so um anything we can ever do for you guys on the other side of the pond, uh, I was actually texting with Chris Abbott, and he invited me over to Sweden to, to come and learn from them as soon as all this coronavirus stuff stops. So I'm, I might have to uh, might have to make a stop in Forlunda as well just to catch up and see how things are going over there too. It's an hour, 30-minute drive. Oh, nice. So you better come to Gothenburg. Absolutely. Actually, I have a, I have a funny story about them. So Cam and Chris Abbott for the listeners, we were talking about them, uh, prior to the episode here. So they were two teammates of mine at Cornell that, uh, 
like we had we were number one in the country one of the years that we played uh, together, and Chris and Cam were like first line players with the third or fourth line mentality, kind of like Jonathan Taves type players. And they were way too talented to accept the roles that they accepted at Cornell, but they did it because they're great human beings. And they're a huge part of the reason why we were so successful because they were so good, but they, you know, were great penalty killers and played the role that they were given on our team. And uh, so funny story. So over in Sweden, we were recruiting a kid, Jacob for Sabaka Carlson, um, who I think he was a Bruins draft pick, maybe a second round draft pick, ended up going to BU. But uh, Mike Schaefer, our head coach, actually flew over to Sweden to sit down with them, uh, him and his mom. And it was a hilarious story because Doug Murray, who was a Swedish Olympian and his grandfather is like a huge superstar in Swedish hockey as well. Um, you know, he's kind of like the guy that you would think everybody would know winning the Olympics and all that kind of stuff. And so he goes over there and he's like, well, you know, Jacob, Doug Murray came to Cornell. Um, and, uh, and Jacob was kind of like, okay, like whatever, that's fine. <laughs> and then Cam and Chris, uh, who are guys who we were talking about it beforehand, like they kind of accepted roles at Cornell that they were better than and then they went to play in the CHL then they went over to Norway then they played in the second league in Sweden and they eventually ended up playing in the top league for years and now uh, Chris is the general manager for a Swedish elite league team and Cam is the head coach and uh, so Cam and Chris who are like these you know quote-unquote third fourth line guys for us Shafe goes over there and, you know, talks about Doug Murray and Jacob's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then he goes, yeah, and actually these two guys, not even thinking about it, Cam and Chris Abbott, they play in Sweden a little bit. You know, they, uh, you know, they played at Cornell too. And Jacob was like, Cam and Chris Abbott went to Cornell? No way. <laughs> he was like so impressed. He was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Doug Murray, Olympian, ah, whatever. But Cam and Chris, just the guys that they are, uh, just just phenomenal stuff. But have to, uh, when I do get over that way, we'll, we'll make the hour 30 drive for sure to get down. I'd love to pick your brain even some more and, and see what you guys are up to. Perfect. Perfect. So, all right. Well, have a good night over there, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, you bet.